0: Every day, thousands of concerns press for our attention. Our world is wrestling with all kinds of legitimate social issues. Do you ever wonder how things became so complicated? Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. Do you ever dream about a simpler time in your life and faith? In this series, we will look at four one thing statements in the Bible to help us quiet all the noise and call us back to a simpler faith. We hope you enjoy. All right, good morning, everyone. Good morning. All right, so before we, before we get started with the sermon today, there's a couple of things I need to take care of. Number one I need to apologize. Last night as we were putting everything away at the harvest festival, I was promising everyone a short sermon. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to deliver on that one. We'll just see how it goes. Uh, but secondly, uh, there's a lot of people. How many of you were here yesterday for the harvest festival? All right? All right, quite a few of you. All right. And, and so yesterday was our, our annual Harvest Festival. We put on a, on a uh, just a day to uh, for the kids to come for a free, fun, and safe environment. And so hopefully that's what, what happened here yesterday. And so there's a lot of people to thank for that. And I know whenever you start thanking people, you forget some people. Uh, but really, thank you guys for bringing candy. You know, we had plenty of candy. Thank you for all of you that helped as we did set up. We We brought stuff down Wednesday night. We set stuff up Friday evening. Uh, People got here early Saturday morning to set up. So thank you to all of you who came and did that. Uh, My back and my knees are grateful for all of you that stayed afterwards yesterday and helped put things away. Okay? So I dread putting stuff away at the end of events like this. And yet it always amazes me. Every year I am amazed at how quickly and how well it gets done. All right, because this event ended at 5, and if you were here, you know there were some people that, that weren't, wouldn't leave, okay? Um, and yet we were done putting everything away by 6 o'clock, and so it was, it was truly amazing. So thank you to all of you who helped with that. And then there's two other people that I want to thank uh, especially, and I don't see either one of them in the service. Maybe they're watching online, so if I get in trouble, whatever, they're not here, um, I just want to say thank you to Jenny Strauss and to Lisa Denton for all their work for the Harvest Festival. Um, you know, every year, every year they do a lot of work that you don't see and you have no idea, and they have spent months in preparation for yesterday's event. Jenny Strauss, man, she, she goes all over this valley looking for stuff and getting stuff for the auction that goes on, and, uh, and with Lisa, I just say that she's the brains of the operation, Okay. Like, whenever somebody had a question in the last couple days, I was like, I know nothing, ask Lisa, all right? And so anyways, really appreciate the two of them and just their hard work to make the Harvest Festival awesome, and really grateful to the Lord that the wind started today and not yesterday, all right? Because Friday night, we set up canopies everywhere, and I, you know, as I was thinking about it, I was like, man, if that wind had started one night earlier, we'd have got here Saturday morning, all the canopies would have been in a corner of the campus in a, in a mess, and so just so grateful that for a great day. Um, last, week, <clears throat> last week, Pastor Rob started a, a new sermon series entitled One Thing. You see it up there on the screen. And uh, so when I was in first service, I was sitting over here in the front row, and I don't know if I'd done something wrong, but no one was sitting anywhere near me, okay? Like no one was anywhere near me, and I'm sitting over there, and I've known that this sermon series was, was going to be entitled One Thing, but as I was sitting over there all by my lonesome, by myself, I was sitting there going, I know exactly what Rob is going to say. And I was sitting there going, I said, I, and I was looking for anyone that I knew well enough that I could go bother them. But I wanted to go, let's make a friendly wager and discuss how many sermons into this series it's going to take Pastor Rob to mention city slickers. All right? And as I sat there, I so regretted that I didn't go bother somebody because he didn't get 10 minutes. <laughs> Ten minutes into this first serve, this first series on one thing, he starts talking about city slickers. And you know, he's not in the service, so I don't know where he is, so he can't hear me. I think, I hope. I was sitting over there going, Rob, you do understand most of these people have never seen that movie. Okay, because if you're under 50, you haven't seen that movie. Okay, am I right? Am I right? How many of you have seen the movie City Slickers? All right. How many of you haven't seen the movie City Slickers? All right. Just look around the room when I ask that question, all right? So anyway, we started this series, One Thing, and we started with such a great passage, because there's several passages in the Bible that have that phrase, that little phrase, One Thing, in and we started with such an awesome one last week. Psalm 27, verse 4, it says, One thing I ask from the Lord this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And so what is David saying? He's saying, man, all I want in my life is to be in God's presence. Like, I don't care about anything else. I just want to be in God's presence. What an incredible passage of Scripture, you know, and I, and I hope that that would be the, the prayer or what we would say about ourselves. Man, that all I want in this world is to be in God's presence. Pastor Rob mentioned Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, where Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened. All right. And so what a great passage. And as I think about both of those passages together, I think about it like this, man, if I am seeking God with all of my heart, he is there to be found. Like if you are seeking God with all of your heart, not, not just a little, but if you are seeking him with all of your heart, God is there to be found. And so David wants to dwell in the presence of the Lord all day, every day. And I hope that's the way we are as well. And so today we're going to look at another passage that says the word one thing in it. But before we get there, I don't know if you guys realize this, but about a month ago, the Powerball lottery got up to, it was over a billion, it was almost $2 billion. How many of you are aware of that? Okay. All right, so a few of you are aware of that. And so I don't know what it is about me, because, you know, like when it resets, it's at like $20 million, and I don't know, I guess that isn't enough to get me to dream, okay? Like how, how ridiculous is that? You know, but it got up to almost $2 billion or so. Whenever it gets to that point, I start to play a little game in my head called what if. What if John won the Powerball? You know, what would I do with all of that money? And so, you know, it doesn't keep me awake, but maybe I'll be awake and then I'll be thinking, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. You know, there are some obvious things. Obviously, I would give money to the church. You know, I would give money to the family members that I like. Um, I would, I would... I would give some people a dollar just to let them know what I think, okay? But in all seriousness, like I would give money to the, my kids went to high school or a private school in the area. I would give money to their high school. I would give money probably to every school that ever had to put up with me, you know? Like, it don't matter, elementary, middle school, high school, college, all of them deserve something for putting up with me, you know? And so I'd give money to different people or different charities or different organizations. And so, I don't know, am I the only one that plays? anybody else ever do that? Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you, okay, I appreciate that. But you know, so you sit there and and you think about that and you do that, and I was doing that recently, but there's only one, well, there's two problems, okay? There's two problems with that. Number one, the odds of me winning are slim to none, and slim just left the building, okay? The odds of me winning are slim to none, and slim just left the building. Secondly, and this is a bigger problem, you know, when you never get around to buying a ticket, it's hard to win something, right? They ain't going to give me the Powerball lottery if I didn't ever buy a ticket. And for some reason, I, I just never got around to getting a ticket. Like week after week, when it was over the billions, I thought, oh, and for every time, I didn't get it. Now, I live a half a mile from here. All right, so between the church and my house, there's a 7 Seven Eleven, and there's an Arco, both of which sells tickets. And, and every once in a while, I drive by and say, oh, you should go, out. nah, I'll just keep the two bucks in my wallet, you know? And so that's the problem. You know, if you don't ever buy a ticket, you have no chance of ever winning. And so as you think about that, and like even as you think about that or you dream about things like that, you realize, you know what, if I won all this money, all of my problems will go away. Well, that's not exactly true, right? I mean, some of your problems might go away, but not all of your problems are going to go away. As a matter of fact, some of your problems will probably go away, but there's a good chance that there'll be more problems that are created. winning that and so how much is really enough you know because like how silly does it seem like i get excited about it when it gets over a billion to where i mean if i won 20 bucks that'd be great you know and and so but the reality is we all have that number like oh how much do i need to be happy or whatever is going to fix all my problems and so today as we're looking at our story in the bible today we're looking at a guy who we don't know how much he had but this is what we know he had plenty Okay. We don't know how much he had, but we know that he had plenty. All right. And so we're going to look at this story. It's in Mark chapter 10 and we're going to start in verse 17. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 10. If you don't, it's on the screen. I hope it's the same as what I'm reading from here. Um, Mark chapter 10 verse 17 says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And so in this first little section here, these are our first impressions. Now, you know, people have been talking about this guy for 2,000 years now. And, you know, maybe some people, I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to choose to assume that this young man who came to Jesus had a sincere and good heart. All right, and there's three things that I want you to notice about him in this little section. Here. Number one, it tells us that he falls on his knees before Jesus. All right, secondly, we read that he calls Jesus good teacher, And then thirdly, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So number one, he falls on his knees before Jesus. What's he doing? He's throwing himself before Jesus in humility, right? He's throwing himself at Jesus' feet in humility. He's coming before him in humility. Secondly, when he calls Jesus' good teacher, you know, he might have just been trying to kiss up to Jesus, It's possible that he was just trying to kiss up to Jesus. But it's also possible that he had heard about this Jesus, maybe he'd heard Jesus speak before, and he had a deep and rich admiration for who Jesus was. And so maybe he was being completely sincere when he calls him good teacher. But then lastly, in that third one, he's asking a really serious question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Isn't that really the most important question that any of us can answer? or ask? That's the most important question that any of us could ever ask. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What am I going to do with this guy named Jesus? Is the most important thing that you and I could ever have to think about. And so in this section, I love Jesus' response. Because Jesus' response is simply, hey, no one is good except God alone. Okay, no one is good except God alone. And I think of Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. It says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile, there is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And so Jesus is like, why are you calling me good? Because Jesus knows that the Bible says there isn't anybody that's good. Like some of you sitting here, you might feel good, You might feel like you're a good person, but that's because you're comparing yourself to the person sitting next to you, okay? Or you're comparing yourself to the person that you work with. Or you're comparing yourself to some other people you know that might be in the building. And I'm not trying to bring you down, but the reality is we're all sinners, okay? That's the reality. We are all sinners. And so because of that, none of us are really good. We all have a problem because of sin, and so Jesus in this section, that Jesus isn't trying to deny that he's God. I don't even think he's trying to deny that he's good. I think he's just calling this guy out on the carpet for what he says. You know, you ever do that? You ever try to kiss up to somebody? You know, you ever try to butter somebody up and they call you on it? You know, like, oh, you meet somebody. Oh, I've heard so many good things about you. And they look at you and say, oh, yeah, what have you heard? Now then are like, uh, uh, that's why I don't say anything. I just say, nice to meet you. Okay, because that's what I imagine Jesus is doing to this guy right here. You know, he's like, "Why did you call me good?" I don't know. And so, as Jesus goes on, he goes. He mentions some of the Ten Commandments. He mentions like the last six of the Ten Commandments. So, so what does Jesus really do? You know, the first several Ten Commandments, of the Ten Commandments they all deal with how we relate to God, and the last six how to uh, relate to how we deal with people. And so he shares those with the guy, and he says, you know the commands, da 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 da, da and goes on. And then the guy's like, what does the guy say to that? All these I have kept since I was a youth. Now listen, I've looked at that list. I've done pretty good with some of them. Like, I haven't killed anybody. That's the only one I'm gonna address, okay? Uh, I, haven't, I haven't killed anyone, you know? But when you look at that list... I, I think it's possible that this young man was being honest. It's possible that he grew up in, in, a, in a very religious, God-fearing Jewish home, who, and he learned the Ten Commandments when he was very young. And it is entirely possible that throughout his young life that he had managed to obey those commandments. All right, so I'm not even going to sit here and call him a liar. It's possible. It's not likely, but it's possible that he had kept all of those. Again, remember, I'm giving this guy the benefit of the doubt in this story. And so in this first section, we see that he has a good heart. He asks a good question. And we're left to believe that he even has good performance in his life. But let's move on to this next section. And in this next section, we're going to see our one thing passage. Start at verse 21. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and him. And loved him. I want you to think about those words just for a moment. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? There's so much in those few verses that I want us to notice. But really, Jesus is sharing with us the cost of following him. The cost of following Jesus. And again, we read our one thing passage in there. But what I want us to notice first is this. This idea that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Like, again, we don't know, but I'm assuming this is Jesus' first interaction with this guy. And yet Jesus looked at him, and he wanted what was very best for him. Like, he doesn't he doesn't want to settle for what would just be okay for this guy. Jesus wants what's very best for him. And it tells us something about Jesus that should help us understand how I think Jesus feels about us about how Jesus feels about you. You know, you hear it all the time at church that God loves you. We sang some songs today that talked about God's love for us. And sometimes we talk about that, and maybe we don't realize it, we don't internalize it, we don't really think about it. But how incredible is that, that God really does love you? Just like Jesus looked at this young man and loved him, Jesus is looking at you. God is in heaven looking down at you, and he is loving you right now. And I say that knowing, listen, he knows what you did this week, and he loves you. He knows how you treated your spouse this week, and he loves you. He knows how you treated your children, or he knows how you treated the people that you work with. And I'm trying to avoid looking at anyone in particular as I say this. Okay, But he knows all the things that are going on inside your heart and in your mind and the things that you think. And how incredible is it that God still loves you? I think it's incredible that God still loves me. I think that's the most amazing thing you could tell me. Because I know what's going on in here. I know the things that I think. I know the things that I do. And yet I know that God still loves me. And God still loves each one of you. That's a message that our world needs to hear. Our world doesn't need to hear about us hating them or God hating them. The world needs to hear about God's love for each of us. And, you know, as I was thinking about it, like, I don't think I'm an unemotional person. I don't think I lack feelings, okay? But I'm not the most emotional person, Okay? And so as I think about God's love, and as I've thought about God's love in my life for a long time, I think for a long time I struggled to understand exactly what that meant. And and I would say there was one thing that kind of changed that for me. For me, and I'm not saying you have to have kids to understand God's love, but for me, it was when I had children that I began to understand God's love for me. All right? Because, like, I try to love unconditionally but I have conditions, okay? Like, I try to love people unconditionally, but I have conditions. And yet, when I think about my children, there are no conditions on my love for my children. Like, they're gonna disappoint me, and they have. And it doesn't change my love for them. They're gonna make me incredibly sad, and they have. And it doesn't change my love. Like, they could be the worst people in the world, and you all could hate them. And you know what? I would be disappointed and sad and upset, but I would still love them. Like nothing would ever change the fact that they're my children. And I think that's how God looks at us. We are his children. And we could disappoint him, we could make him sad, we could make him go, you know? But when he looks at us, he still looks at us and loves us. And I just think that's so incredible. And so in love, Jesus looks at this guy, and he knows what's best for him, and as Jesus in love looks at us, he knows what is best for us. And so in love, Jesus doesn't hold back from telling this guy what was best for him. He doesn't hold back from telling him what his expectations were There's a difficult truth that this guy needed to hear, and Jesus doesn't go, well, I just don't want him to feel bad, so I'll hold it. No, Jesus lets him know what he needs to do. Basically, Jesus says, hey, man, get rid of everything that you're clinging to. Get rid of everything you're holding on to, and then come follow me. Get rid of all the things in your life that you're leaning on, and then come lean on me and follow me. And he said that to this man in this story in Mark chapter 10, and he's saying that to us still. What are the things that are getting in the way of you leaning on him? What are you trusting in? Because you aren't so sure that you can trust in the love of God. What do you have in your life right now that maybe you wouldn't admit it right now because you're sitting in church, okay? But what do you have in your life that's more important to you than your relationship with God. Because Jesus is looking at you and he's looking at me and he's looking at us with love and he's telling us to get rid of everything and anything that's keeping us from relying on him and trusting in him. And so in our story, this guy walks away sad because he's not willing to make that trade. You know, like we like cute stories that all have happy endings, don't we? Hey, that's why you all watch the Hallmark Channel so much. Okay? You, you like those cute, but in the reality in this story is Jesus calls this man to discipleship, calls him to lean on nothing but him, and he walks away. And quite often we do that too when we start to understand the expectations that God has or what God wants for us. We're like, ooh, I'm willing to pay a price, but that's, that's more than I'm willing to pay so is there anything that's keeping Jesus from being the number one priority in your life? Is there anything that Jesus will be telling you and me to get rid of? He loves you. I even think he likes you. He wants what's best for you. But Jesus isn't willing to compromise. Okay? Like in our relationships with one another, we might be willing to compromise to maintain a healthy relationship or to keep things happy or whatever. There is no compromising with God. It's his way. It's not our way, it's his way. And so following Jesus involves a tremendous commitment that people for the last couple thousand years have been paying the price to have that commitment. Um, In in the book that Dudley Rutherford wrote, entitled One Thing, he mentions the uh, German pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was put to death uh, during World War II for allegedly being part of a plot uh, to kill Adolf Hitler. And he wrote this about him. He says, no stranger to the high cost of discipleship, Bonhoeffer wrote that every Christian is confronted by the cost of the cross. Like coming to Jesus isn't free. His salvation is free, but there's a price to be paid. Confronted by the cost of the cross, that we all must experience the sufferings of Christ, first, by abandoning the attachments of this world, and second, by dying to our old way of life, or perhaps even undergoing physical death like Jesus and many of his disciples. So let's go back to our story here, because at this point, the disciples are a little bit confused, and it's going to tell, the Bible's going to tell us that they're amazed. So go back to our story in, in verse 24. It says, the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mother, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And so in this last section, what I want us to think about is this. Is You know what? Do you own things, or do things own you? Do you own things, or do things own you? And so like I said, twice in this last section, it says the disciples are amazed. And part of it's because what Jesus is telling them is radical compared to what they've been brought up in. Like compared to the Jewish thought of the time, what Jesus is saying is pretty radical because they would have taken sign of their wealth as a sign of God's blessing in their life. Like their wealth and their health and their status is all, were all supposed to be a sign of God's favor in their lives. And Jesus is throwing that upside down. And so when Jesus says it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, I'm sure the disciples were confused and even a little bit shocked. And I know some of you are sitting here going, Well, that doesn't apply to me. I don't have to worry about that. I'm not rich. Guess what? We really are. Even the poorest amongst us are so wealthy compared to most in our world. Like we are so blessed that we don't even understand it. And so one of my favorite commentaries is a guy named William Barkley, and his commentary on this section He says, no one ever saw the dangers of prosperity and of material things more clearly than Jesus did. One of the dangers is that material possessions tend to fix our hearts on this world. So when we get sidetracked by wealth, we're constantly trying to get it, and then we're focused on how we're gonna hold on to it. We need to make sure that our priorities and motivations are centered around God and heavenly things. And I believe that's why Paul writes this in Colossians chapter three and verse one. It says, since then, you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, <clears throat> and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And so for us, what is he saying? Our thoughts, our focus needs to be on what's above. So the challenge for us is, you know what, how do we find that balance? Because I don't think God wants us to go through your life willy-nilly without a plan, And being reckless and being foolish. You know, this is not an excuse to not live with a budget, you know, or anything like that. Okay? But I also think he wants us to go, remember what's most important. Remember what's most important is what's up there, not what's right here. Barclay goes on to say this about wealth or material goods. He says, it's an acid test for character. For every 100 who could stand adversity, only one can stand prosperity. Let me read that again. For every 100, Who could stand adversity only one can stand prosperity like as i thought about that when i read that i thought well the truth of the matter is when life is hard my prayer life is better okay when life is hard my prayer life is better and when things get easy it's easy for that to slip when things are hard it's easy to depend on god but when things are easy it's easy to lose that focus And so I think he's true. Secondly, he talks about wealth and material things being a responsibility. He says we're going to be judged by two standards. How we got our possessions and how we use them. How we got them and how we use them. Another guy i like to read said, Money is a marvelous servant but a terrible master. If you possess money, be grateful and use it for God's glory. But if money possesses you, beware. And so going back to our pastors, the disciples are shocked because they've given up so much. And Jesus reassures them. He's like, don't worry, guys. You know, it's kind of like, what, I know what his words say, but if I could translate it for it, Jesus is saying, don't worry, I got you guys. Don't, don't worry. You know, it's going to all be okay. I got gotcha. you. And so Jesus tells this man that he's going to sell everything. The disciples are concerned because of how much they've already been given. And as I was getting ready for the sermon, I read this somewhere and so if you disagree, don't argue with me. I read it from someone else. I don't remember who it was, okay? And I, again, I'm not trying to bring you down. Maybe it sounds like I'm trying to bring you down. I really am not. But I read this, and it just hit me. I read this, this person said this. In a 100 years, in a 100 years, no one alive will remember that you even existed. In a 100 years, No one alive will even remember that you existed. Now, that might not be true for everyone. Invent a better remote control or a better air conditioner, and I promise you, my relatives will celebrate your life forever. All right? I thank Eugene Pauly, who worked for Zenith, created the television remote control back in 1955. I'm grateful for Willis Carrier, who invented our modern air conditioner system, okay and some of you are going to ask did you look that up or did you know that somebody asked you that earlier i will not tell you <laughs> but i already knew it so i did tell you but the reality is the reason i say that to you guys a hundred years no one will even know that you were here is not to bring you down but to, to make you realize you know what all the things we get so worked up about, all the things we get so excited about, all the things that we put in front of our relationship with the Lord, none of those things matter. They certainly don't matter now, but they're certainly not going to matter a 100 years from now. And so all those things that get in the way, we need to get rid of all those things that are getting in the way of our relationship with the Lord. Because what we do with Him is all that matters. When I was younger, My uncle gave me a plaque that sits in my office. It sat in every office I've had since then. It says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Okay, that's not a Bible verse, but it's still true. Okay, that's not in the Bible, but it's still true. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Everything else is temporary. Man, you could stock your bank accounts. You can build a beautiful home. You could drive fancy cars, and I'm not saying anything against those things, But guess what? In light of eternity, none of those things matter. None of those things matter at all. So here's the bottom line for us today. That question of eternal life, it's still a question that we have to answer today. And so are you following Jesus today? And if not, why not? Today is the day. Secondly, remember and believe this, and I just so wish you would believe this. Remember that God truly loves you. Like when God looks down on heaven, he looks down at you, and instead of a frown and instead of anger, God looks down on each one of us and loves us incredibly. Thirdly, don't allow anything or anyone to be more important than your relationship with God. If anyone or anything is more important than your relationship with God, those things need to go. Number four, and this is what the disciples I think were worried about a little bit, but just remember you can't outgive God. Okay? Anything lost for his sake, he says we'll be replaced a hundredfold. And then lastly, that quote, only one life will soon be passed, but only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this story. Uh, Lord, I thank you that uh, not only did Jesus look at this young man and love him, but I thank you that that tells us that you are looking at each one of us, Lord, that's right here today, that you're looking at each one of us and you look down on us. And not only do you want what's best for us, but that you love us with all that you have. Thank you so much for that incredible love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. Remember, Lord, your Your mercies and your love that you've always shown me, you forget all my rebellion.